Amen. Well, thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, uh, if you've walked in during, if you're uh, a second-time, third-time guest, regular attender, or member, really glad you've decided to be with us uh, this morning as we begin the Advent season. As you can tell, I was lighting the first candle. And Advent is, as Timothy said, if you're here during the children's homily, a season of preparation. Uh, and preparation, it takes time, doesn't it? It's, it's uh, it requires patience. It's slow. If you think about how long it takes to prepare all the food that many of us ate for Thanksgiving a few weeks ago, uh, and then how quickly we devour it, or as my son says, we crush it. Uh, Advent is a time to prepare for Christmas. It's a time that the church has used in its calendar for thousands of years to uh, pray that God would mold and shape us into a people who wait for Him, who are still as we wait for God's redemption to be completely realized on earth as it is in heaven. And thoughtful preparation, patient preparation, it allows for the enjoyment and celebration of that which we long for. So how we prepare for Advent, or how we prepare in this Advent, will impact how we celebrate Christmas Day. So I hope that you'll take the Advent devotionals that we've put together uh, that are outside and use them personally, use them uh, with your family, use them in city groups and life groups. I hope that you'll come on Sunday mornings during this Advent season with a, a longing towards Christmas Day when we celebrate the birth of Christ. And the reality is that our culture has shaped us not to do Advent or Christmas well. We're a busy and hurried people. We want things now. We don't like to wait. We've been shaped to think that Christmas is about what gifts we can give or even what gifts we can receive. And so this past Tuesday at our staff meeting, uh, I asked our staff team, what are some prayers we can be praying for our church during this Advent? And here are some of our prayers for us as a church. That God would give us rest in the midst of what can feel like a busy season with a busy schedule. That God would give us peace in the midst of a season that can be filled with anxiety. That God would give us joy that abides in a season that is often filled with fleeting pleasures. That God would give us a deep love for those who are outside of our church. That uh, when we hold the Christmas market, the Christmas market shoppers would know the love of Christ and sense the love of Christ through our hospitality. That we as a church, that you as part of this church would invite neighbors and friends and co-workers to our Christmas party on Thursday to Sunday worship throughout this Advent season, so that the gospel of Jesus can be proclaimed and Christ might be exalted. These are prayers that we're praying for us and for this church. This morning we start a new sermon series over the next four weeks. We've titled this series, The Songs of, of Christmas, The Songs of Advent or The Songs of Christmas, looking at Luke 1 through 2. This isn't going to be a series specifically on what we receive at Christmas, though that's going to come out in kind of every sermon. and should come out in every sermon uh, every Sunday throughout the year. It's more of a series looking at how we might respond to the gift of Christmas. How we might respond more specifically to the Christ child. Luke 1 through 2, it's tied together by four different people bursting out into song in response to the Christ child, the Son of God, born Son of a woman. We see Mary, Zechariah, the angels, and Simeon 
all erupting into poetic song about God when they understand the coming of the Christ. Last, or two weeks ago, I guess now, Thanksgiving, we were at my wife's family in Alabama, and they've always had this tradition, and now I've married into the tradition of watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah, it's, it's a great way to spend Thanksgiving morning, to watch the floats and the dancing and the celebration. It, it's, a, it's a great way as a family to just kind of gather around and watch. But you know the one thing that ruins the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade for me? I bet you've noticed, not commercials, I bet you've noticed that it's actually hard to miss. The awful lip syncing that happens during the parade. Everyone knows that the musicians on the floats have a mic in their hand only to show uh, that they're just performing and only really just to kind of get up there for the show and they're just lip syncing. They're not singing. It makes a big difference. It takes away from me a great parade. I want to hear people really sing, not terribly move their lips with a microphone in front of their mouth. Luke 1 through 2 are four different people moved so deeply by God that they are bursting out in real song. The sad thing is that for many of us, our worship of God looks more like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade than it does Mary, Zachariah, the angels are singing. I was with a former seminary professor two months ago who's had a great impact on me, on me and he, he travels all around the world teaching and training church leaders. And he said something to me in, in, in passing that was quite interesting. He said that he is able to tell the health of a church within five minutes of the service starting. And he does so by listening to how the church sings its first hymn or its first song of worship. That regardless of language, he is able to tell the health of the church, and if this church is bursting out into song or merely lip-syncing, merely moving their lips and saying the words, or if the words are connecting with them deeply, that leads them into a jubilant worship of God. Christ Central, I know, I know we have a phenomenal worship team. Now given the name Saints of Sparrows, who just released their album for for Advent, and it's amazing. I, I listened to it this morning. Christmas party is going to be amazing. But Lord forbid, Lord forbid, we come into this place on Sundays and we expect a performance from gifted musicians and we just move our lips rather than engaging our hearts in a red hot worship of our God. This morning we're going to look at a girl who sings deep from her heart, a song known as Mary's Magnificat. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able, and we are going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. This is God's word to us this morning. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my child should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would speak to us now by your spirit and to our spirit. Lord, that you would bring the word that we just read to life, that the ink would feel fresh to us as though you've just written it to us, that we would have our hearts deeply engaged with the truth of the coming Christ that would then well up within us a song of our own, a song to you for your glory. Would you meet us? Would you speak to us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, Mary is the mother of Jesus, and she's between the ages of 12 to 15. She's from the town of Nazareth, the very place that had the moniker, No good shall come out of Nazareth. She's poor, uneducated. She's a Jew who has placed her hope in the coming Messiah who would redeem God's people. Kent Hughes said that Mary is a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. And God chose Mary. God chose Mary to be the one who would bear the Christ child. Now, we didn't read verses 26 to 38, but that's where the angel Gabriel visits Mary. And the angel Gabriel says, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And verse 29 tells us that Mary's greatly troubled at this saying. Uh, Troubled means she's confused. She's, She's confused. She's wondering... What's happening? Am I hallucinating? Uh, This angel is speaking to me. And then the angel responds and tells her to not be afraid. That in fact, she will conceive in her womb, bear a son, and name him Jesus. He'll be called Great, Son of the Most High. He will sit on David's throne. And she's further confused. I'm I'm going to give birth to the Messiah, to the Christ child. And so she questions again, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And God tells her it will happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I point that out to say that Mary did not immediately receive the good news of the coming of Jesus and believe it. She processes all this being told. She engages with Gabriel. She asks questions. She's not convinced of the coming of Christ in her until she visits her cousin Elizabeth And the baby in Elizabeth's womb, whom we know as John the Baptist, leaps with joy at the sound of Mary's voice. It took some time for Mary to be convinced of the coming of Jesus. I know there are a good number of you here this morning that are processing the claims of Christ, the claims of Christmas. 
And I know many of you know people who are processing and asking questions about the gospel of Christianity. We want to be a place here at Christ Central that welcomes all people in their questions. And we realize that everyone processes the claims of Christianity at different speeds, asking different questions. We want this to be a place that you feel comfortable doing that. And I want you, those a part of Christ Central, to feel like this is a place you can invite people who are processing the claims of Christ too, especially during this Advent season. Because Advent is a preparation for the celebration of Christmas, which is the celebration of the incarnation, the Son of God becoming a child. Son of God becoming a child. Listen to this quote by J.I. Packer. God became man. The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needed to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. Packer goes on to say that if someone can grasp the incarnation, the Son of God becoming a child, a baby, then all other difficulties believing the gospel of Christianity can begin to be dissolved. For if God became a human, why could he not perform miracles? Why could he not pay for the sins of the world through his death on a cross? Why could he not rise from the dead? My hope this Advent season is that we all grasp the incarnation. Mary ultimately grasped the incarnation, this truth that she is carrying the power of God, the, the, the Christ child, in her by the Spirit, and it goes off like dynamite in her heart. And she bursts out into song. Mary lets us see three things that are true of how we might respond to this gift of Christmas. And I'm going to move through them fairly quickly. The first thing we see of Mary's response is that it is a response of wonder. Look at verse 46, Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My soul and my spirit, those aren't separate parts of Mary. What Mary is doing is she's making an emphasis. Mary is saying from the very depth, from her core, her whole being, she magnifies, she exalts, she lifts up, she rejoices to worship in God her Savior. See, there's a deep interior for Mary that's gripped by the truth of Christ. And when those two things embrace your deep interior life and the truth of Jesus, a song bursts forth. Listen, you, you cannot have deep, wonder-filled worship with a hollow interior life. If you're not aware of your core, of your heart, if you've not intended to your soul and spirit, there will be no deep song. One thing to note is that Mary's song is filled with Scripture. It's a good echo of 1 Samuel chapter 2, 
in the Old Testament, Hannah's song, as she sings of God's giving her her child Samuel. There are other parts of her song that echo sections of Genesis, Deuteronomy, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. What this shows is that Mary has hidden God's word in her heart, in her soul. And when the truth of Christ is revealed to her, she burst out in deep, wonder-filled worship. Are you hiding God's word in your heart? Are you allowing God to tend to your soul? Without it, you'll only have shallow worship. Eva Cassidy was a phenomenal musician with an angelic voice who performed in Washington, D.C. bars and venues. And while she was alive, she was mostly hidden and obscure. She sang and performed in small venues throughout D.C. The thing about Eva Cassidy is that she only sung what moved her. She would never sign a contract with a big record label, though she was phenomenal, because she would only sing, she would not be forced to sing anything else than what moved In her early 30s, she was diagnosed with melanoma. She died at the age of 33 from cancer. And Eva Cassidy's friends and fans uh, loved her. She had a loyal following. So they convinced her to put on a last performance. And while Eva had cancer, one of the last songs that she sang was, How Can I Keep From Singing? Eva Cassidy, with a body laden with cancer, could not help but sing wonder if the gospel of Jesus explodes like dynamite in your soul and spirit because your interior life is connecting with the truth of Christ and you can say no matter what happens in this life how can I keep from singing about the Christ we also see that Mary is filled with wonder because what's happening to and for her she sings he's looked on me He's called me blessed. Great things he has done for me. Mary is amazed at who God is and what God is doing to and for her. Now, Mary is unique in her role of salvation. She is the virgin Mary who gave birth to the Christ. But everyone, every one of us should be amazed at what God has done to and for us. Everyone who is a Christian should be marked by the response of why me? Why me? Why would the Creator, Almighty, the Savior, look down from His throne and save me? Why would God pour out His love and grace on me? If someone were to ask you, if you are a Christian, we should never have the posture and the response of, of course I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. There is no of courseness as a Christian. When we understand God's grace and the sending of Christ to save us, we respond with, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't know why he would choose me. I don't know why he would save me. Why me? It's the mark of faith. Surprised by grace is the essence of faith in Christ. Because if Christianity is something done by you, by your deeds and by your actions, you will have no wonder. And you will have no deep singing, but if it is something done to you, you'll ask, why me? And you'll burst out in deep song. Second thing we see of Mary is that there's a response of humility. Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, 
says upon Mary's arrival to her home in verse 43, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, even Elizabeth is marked by a lowliness. Humility is her response to the coming of Christ. And then Mary sings, he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. It's the lowly who sing deep songs of worship. It is those who know their place, those of lowliness that sing deeply. Notice Mary doesn't become low. The truth of Christ coming to her helps her realize she is low. And in humility, she sings deeply. Martin Luther observed, God could have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold embroidered raiment, and attended by maids in waiting, but God preferred a lowly maid from a mean town. The coming Christ comes to and for the lowly, and the lowly know their place before the Christ. Humility is a right response to Christ's coming. Look at verses 51 to 53. Mary sings, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, the, in their thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and the rich he has sent away. The coming of Christ humbles the intellect, scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, humbles any person in any position of power because Christ has brought down the mighty from their thrones and it humbles any person of wealth for he has sent the rich away. Put it another way, Jesus demolishes the pride of intellect, the pride of position, and the pride of wealth. The Christ child turns our world upside down. As one pastor said, Jesus is the world's most dangerous baby. He flips the world upside down. Listen to me, there is nothing more deadly than pride. And there is no more right response to Jesus than humility. There was a pastor in Orlando, Florida, while I was in seminary there, who was a young pastor, exploding and growing church. And he was in his young, young 30s, uh, younger than me. His father was a, a pastor of a, of a really large church in Orlando, too. He ended up committing suicide because he entered into a life of infidelity and addiction. And it came out after his suicide that he had written down everything to the detail of what should happen for his funeral the songs that should be sung, the scripture that needed to be read, who was to be involved. He made sure his church staff knew exactly what to do at his funeral. He even wrote his own obituary. And there was one line in the obituary that might be the telltale sign of what led to his downfall and death. So he was a little bit shorter than me. I met him a few times. So he's maybe five foot eight inches. But in his obituary, he wrote that he stood five foot 11 and three-quarter inches. He always thought that he was bigger than he was. Pride destroys. And if we live trying to magnify ourselves, we will never sing deeply. We are meant to worship God, and that will happen when we know we're little, when we are marked by humility. The next thing we see about responding to Christ is that it elicits a response of surrender. Not just wonder, not just humility, but a response of surrender. The angel Gabriel tells Mary the news of Christ in her womb. We didn't read it, verse 38, but Mary told, I'm the servant of the Lord, let it be to me. 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. Mary responds to God in willing surrender. She says, I'm your servant. I will follow. I will obey you. I mean, think about Mary. She's betrothed to Joseph. She's a normal teenage girl, dreaming of her wedding day with Joseph, dreaming of a life together and a home with children, and now God is telling her she's going to be with a child before she's married. And Mary counts the cost. People will either think she had sex before marriage, or she was unfaithful to her fiancé, She knows she will always be known in her small town as the one who is the bearer of an illegitimate child. Following God would cost Mary. And she followed, not knowing where it would lead. When we understand who God is, creator, Lord, king on his throne, that he saves and he redeems us in a broken world by the sending of his own son, then our response is complete surrender. To surrender it all, laying everything down, no matter the cost, following him fully. Now I'm sure we are all feeling a little bit of guilt because we ate too much at Thanksgiving and uh, we probably eat a little bit too much during this Advent season and Christmas Day. And what always happens during the new year as it rolls around is that everybody begins to commit to exercising. We all begin to sign up for some gym memberships and we have goals and we have a plan in front of us and uh, we're committed as long as those goals work out or as long as it's meeting our needs. And then what often happens three months later, people begin to leave the gym and quit their routine. Becoming a Christian, it's not like signing up for a gym membership. That we engage as long as it meets our need. It's not even a recognition that, that we have a need. It is a full surrender to follow and obey God no matter the cost. No matter the cost. I heard someone say there are two questions that every Christian must answer if they are responding to Jesus correctly. Here's the first question. Are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, like it or not? And are you willing to trust God, whatever he sends into your life, understand it or not? See, Mary responded with wonder, humility, and surrender. She connected what was happening to her to the covenant promises made to Abraham. We see that in verse 55. This is beautiful. She knows God's covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis. She knew God's word, right? That another impossible birth would come through Abraham and Sarah. God promised the the child. And God promised through Abraham's seed, the nations would be blessed. The promise in Genesis is not through Abraham's seeds, plural, but through Abraham's seed, singular. So what Mary is connecting here is that this child in her is the seed, is the one who is going to be a blessing to the nations. Mary knows this child would be the one to bring the blessing of God as far as the curse is found. Church, we know way more than Mary. We know way more than Mary. We know that the Christ child came. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross. He rose from the dead, and he promises to come in and redeem all that is broken in us and in this world. Will you be moved to sing deeply 
not merely moving your lips, not shallow, of course I'm a Christian type of singing, but deep from your soul, filled with wonder, humility, and complete surrender. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would connect with the deep parts of our souls that no one else but you might know the truth of the Son of God becoming a child to redeem and save us and this world. And I pray that it would elicit wonder, humility, and a full surrender unto you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.